Well, hey, thanks for being with us today at Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you with us, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online right now in the midst of all the fun COVID spike kind of stuff. Um, but we're glad that you're with us either way. Now, as we get started today, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. What I need you to do is look at your neighbor and with attitude, no, no halfway, with attitude, I want you to tell your neighbor, you need to get your mind right. That was excellent in the back there. That's right. All right. If you're online, you can lay that person next to you on the couch. You can tell them, Bill Wiegand, make sure you tell Joanne this. All right. You need to get your mind right. If you're watching online and you're like, there's nobody in the room with me, put it in the chat stream. Okay. If you're wondering how I knew that about the person next to you, all right, I've seen them too. I know what you go through, all right? But here's the deal. We are uh, launching a brand new series today. It's entitled Winning the War of Your Mind. And in this series, uh, it's based off of a book by the same title. We are taking some time to just figure out what does it look like to get our minds right. And so we're going to take a minute. We're going to pray and invite God to, to be part of this with us. Uh, before we do, um, we also want to pray for um, Richard and Nancy Lewis and their family. Uh, Richard and Nancy attend here. Their daughter, uh, Carrie, and their son, Dustin, and their kids live with them. And Carrie just had their, uh, her fourth child. Uh, child's premature. It, the child is in the ICU at this time. And both Carrie and Dustin, Dustin tested positive for covid and so they're trying to navigate, okay, we got three kids at home that don't have COVID. We got Richard and Nancy, we got Dustin and Carrie who do have COVID, and we got a baby in ICU. And so understandably, it's a bit of chaos for them right now. If you're going, what can we do for them? Uh, if you're part of the meal train, uh, sign up to help them so they don't have to figure out food in the midst of all this crazy if you're not part of the meal train and you want to be, put that on your connection card and we will get you connected with folks so that you can be part of that. But let's pray for that family, pray for our time, and then we'll jump into things. Father, we just um, ask that you would have your hand on baby Logan, that you would um, just work in that child, that you get him out of the ICU and home as quickly as possible. We pray for your hand of healing on Carrie and on Dustin. And we pray for your hand of protection on Richard and Nancy and the kids who don't have COVID. Uh, we just pray for the chaos that they are living in right now with all of these different factors in play. Please bring peace. Please have your hand of help on their family. Fathers, we just uh, think about today. Um, the lies that we are being told and your truth and what it looks like to begin to get our minds right. I just pray that you would have your hand upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to throw a, a, a statement up on the screens and just say, okay, if I was to say to you, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, how are you inclined to respond to that? Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Now, some of you would be like, eh, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of silly. Like, I'm determining where my life is going, not my thoughts. 
Others of you might be a little bit more critical and you'd be like, man, that sounds like a bunch of psycho babble. Why don't you stick to the Bible up there? You'll get plenty. Relax, all right? Some of you are inclined to look at it and go, oh my goodness, please tell me we are not going to Oprah here at church, right? Easy, all right, we're not. I would actually contend that this idea that your, your, your mind is always, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, this is actually a reflection of biblical theology. And let me give you a couple examples of, of what we mean here. Consider what Paul writes here to the Philippian church. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do what? Think about such things. Think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, please don't miss the progression of concepts that Paul has included here. He's like, hey, I want you to think about such things. I want your thoughts to move in a particular direction so that it would impact your behavior. It would cause you to act a certain way, to put certain things into practice with the result that this, this thinking and the subsequent behavior would produce an outcome. You would meet the God of peace. Paul's like, hey, you're going to think, you're going to behave based on your thinking, and it's going to impact your life. Or consider the proverb. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. You want to know where the person next to you is going? You want to know who they really are on the inside? You want to know where the, the direction their life is moving in? You figure out how that person thinks within themselves, and you're going to know who they are and who they're becoming. Because our thoughts impact our actions, and they impact the direction of our lives. Now, some of you are going, why didn't you just say you, you, you think, you act, you behave? Because I'm trying to quote Craig's fancy thing from the book here, all right? But the, the idea, again, is our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Now, as true as this may be, it does not come without problems. Because here's the deal. That person next to you who you told needs to get their minds right, all right? This won't happen to you, but that person next to you Sometimes they believe the wrong things. Sometimes, that's right, Joanne, he believes the wrong things, yeah. Sometimes they, they believe lies. Sometimes the, 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 there are warped, twisted things that can work their way into their heads. And it impacts the way that they think. And when we think wrongly, it will impact the way that we act. The, the, way, the things that we practice. And that will impact the direction that our lives are moving in. The, the lies will impact our behaviors, and they will take our lives in directions we do not want our lives to go in, in a ways that God never meant for our lives to go in. Give you a fun example of, of what we're talking about here. So growing up, my mom always had a dog. As far back as I can remember, my mom always had a dog. And um, at one point, my parents moved to Rochester Hills, and they moved into one of those neighborhoods that have no fences, and where the Neighborhood Association won't let you put in any fences. You get that, right? 
So my mom's got a problem. She's got a dog. What are you going to do with the dog when there's no fence? You know? So she put in an electric fence. And back in the day, that, that meant you buried a wire under the ground, you know, around the perimeter of your yard. I guess you can do this today without the wires, you know. Um, but you had a wire under the ground. And then you get a collar. And the collar goes on the dog's neck. And when the dog crosses that line, they get zapped. You know, lights up their little pea-sized brain with a little bit of electricity. And pretty quickly, the dog figures out, you know, this is no good. I don't want to do this because they're going to fry me again, right? So they put one of these in. Now, my, dog, my, my mom had a dog at the time named Bailey. Bailey was a golden retriever who was really smart and strong-willed. And so Bailey sometimes, you could see him. He'd come up to the line, and he'd see something he wanted on the other side of the line. It was almost like you could see the wheels turning. And sometimes Bailey would be like, you know what, it's worth it. And he'd cross the line anyway. He'd get fried, and, you know, he'd go get what he wanted, and then he'd come back and cross back over the line. He didn't care. Now, this kind of makes an electric fence useless. And so my mom calls the fence company. She's like, hey, this is no good. And they're like, it's okay. Every now and then we get a dog like this. And so they sent her a collar that had twice the shocking power of the normal collar, right? I mean, you could almost smell Bailey's fur burning, you know, when he crossed the line. And so, you know, I was there the first time he tried to cross the line. He was like, oh, this is worth it. Never again. Never again did Bailey intentionally try and cross that line because he knew if he did, he was going to light up his little head like a Christmas tree, right? So, here's the, and, and here's the, Here's where Bailey's thinking was broken. Like, Bailey was convinced the line was the issue. Not the collar. The line was the thing that was just frying him again and again. And and so he he just can't cross this line. What Bailey failed to realize is it's the collar that's restricted his life. You take the collar off, he's free, you know. But he doesn't get that. And you're like, how do you know Bailey thought that? Just hang in there with me. It's going to become apparent, right? So, so like one time, Bailey's out, he's fetching, he's a golden retriever, he's born to fetch, and sometimes he would lose track of where the line was as he's fetching, right? And so he would accidentally like go over the line, you could always tell when he did, because you'd hear, you know, he's going across that line, he just got lit up again, right? This particular time he crosses the line, he gets lit up, he goes and gets what he was fetching, he comes back to the line, and he sits down, because he knows if I cross back over into the yard, they're going to get me again, and I'm not doing this on purpose anymore. And then he would bark. And then he'd bark again. And he'd bark again. Just waiting for something. He's like, I don't know what else to do. Come get me, you know? This is the best I can do to communicate this. So my dad hears Bailey, sees Bailey, figures out what happened. And my dad goes, crosses the line, takes Bailey's collar off. He's come on, Bailey, let's go. Nope. He's free. He can cross that line without any issues, but he's convinced it's the line, not the collar, that's lighting him, lighting him up. So he won't cross. It doesn't matter. My dad, you know, tries to encourage Bailey, tries to bribe Bailey, threatens Bailey. He's not crossing that line because he knows the line will get him. So eventually my dad just gets sick of it, grabs Bailey by the scruff of the neck and starts to drag him. And, you know, Bailey's doing one of these all the way up to the line, right? Now, when they cross the line, Something unexpected happens for both Bailey and my dad. Bailey crosses the line and he's fine. 
My dad crosses the line, and he drops like a felled ox, right? What happened was the, 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 the prongs for the collar that are normally pushing into Bailey's little neck, they're firmly pressed up against the palm of my dad's hand. And he's on the ground flopping around like a fish on the beach, right? If Bailey could have spoken... He'd have looked at my dad and said to him, I told you that line was a son of a gun, right? In fact, like years later, Bailey's collar is dead. It doesn't function. It doesn't do a thing. And still, Bailey will not cross that line. Like the, he can cross that line with no repercussions. The neighborhood is his playground. He can mark anything he wants now. Go pee anywhere he'd like, you know? still will not cross that line because he's convinced the line, not the collar, is what's getting him. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Even if, you, even if you've come to believe a lie, your life will move in that direction. It's simply how life works. Now here's what we need to understand. There is a war that is being waged for your mind and mine. There are enemies to your mind. Enemies that seek to get you to believe things that contradict what God has told you to be true about who you are and about how life works and about who he is and about the people and the circumstances that surround you. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul identifies what, what I would argue the three top enemies of your mind in mind. Writing in Ephesians, Paul, Paul is writing about our spiritual state before we knew Jesus, and he says the following. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the world, the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So there are three main enemies that Paul identifies here. He, he talks about um, the, the ways of the world. The, he's like, hey, there is a cultural system that surrounds you that is forever trying to get you to believe things that are untrue. And he talks about the ruler of the air. He's like, hey, there are dark spiritual forces. This is a reality, and they are forever trying to tell you lies. And then he, he talks about, you know, your flesh. He's like, hey, there is part of you that's just broken, and it is inclined towards untruth. Now, if you grew up around church, you probably heard these three referred to as the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And, and Paul's like, hey, all three of these things are here. They are all warring to win your mind, to get you to believe things that contradict what God has said to be true. Because they know it will take your life and your actions and the direction you are moving in in a way God never meant for it to, in a way that ultimately you don't want it to go in. So, before we move forward, let me just ask you, is there an area in your life right now that's a struggle? Is there an area in your life right now where you know, you can see the direction that your life is moving in? You're like, I'm, this is not good. I am not okay with this. 
Is there an area in your life right now that's just flat out dysfunctional or broken? Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse, your parent, your sibling, your friend. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a sin. You keep doing this thing and you know you shouldn't be, but you just cannot stop. Maybe it's something emotionally, be it anxiety or anger or depression or paranoia. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something at school. But is there an area where the direction is no good, you're struggling, or things are just flat out broken? I want to suggest to you, if you've got an area like that in your life, how you think about that area is influencing the outcomes you're experiencing. Now, I'm not so naive as to think that is the only factor. I get life is more complicated than that. But as we struggle, as the direction is no good, as things grow to become flat out dysfunctional, what we need to understand is that in part we are experiencing what we are because our enemy is winning the war of our mind. Now, as we're having this conversation, you're beginning to connect some dots. And you're going, yeah, I can see where this is at least a factor for me to some degree in this area of my life. Don't beat yourself up about that. Because anybody who's honest in this room has to admit at some time or another, it's been a factor for them. It happens to the best of us. In fact, let me share an example from my life. See what I did there? Thank you, Percy. All right. So here's the deal. Um, 2018, back August, uh, September, October, November. This was the, the month leading up to when I came on staff here at Faith and in the, in the first few months I was on staff here. Uh, I found myself wrestling with overwhelming anxiety. Now, I'm not by nature an anxious person. Um, it's just, just not how I'm wired. Um, but I was having levels of anxiety where I could not sleep. It impacted my eating. It was consuming my thoughts. It, it was so bad, I was like, I don't, like, maybe I need to get out of ministry altogether. I, I, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Now, when it was all happening, it, it just, I'm like, just anxiety is just eating my lunch. I'm not even sure what it is or what in the world's going on. I just, I'm like, I just know I am not okay, and I cannot continue to function like this. Now, in retrospect, I can tell you, oh, this is what was going on. I had overwhelming anxiety. And, and at the time, I didn't realize it, but in retrospect, I can tell you this is what it was. See, here's what happened. Back in 2016, I, I was on staff at another church where for about 11 years, I served as the associate pastor. And in, 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 in 2016, I was really sensing maybe God was calling me to something new and something different. And I was thinking about exploring a role as a lead pastor. And right about the time I thought, all right, I'm going to get after this, the then founding and lead pastor of that church called me into his office and said, hey, I'm taking a role with the denomination. I'm leaving. And I thought, okay, it would be bad for the church if we both left at the same time He's already gone. He beat me to it. I need to stay put. And so I did and wound up becoming the co-interim lead pastor of that church for about two years. Now, that was super helpful. 
Because I, I had this whole try it before I buy it opportunity when it comes to being a lead pastor. I was like, okay, I'll try this. If I like it, I can pursue it. If I hate it or I'm no good at it, then I just go back to what I was doing. Nobody loses here, right? Three months into that, I was like, okay, this is what God is calling me to. I can sense this is the direction I want to move in. As best as I can figure out, it's not supposed to be at this church, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And so when it looked like that church had things figured out, I began to pursue a role. And, and, and that, that, that word got out. Like eventually folks at that church you know, learned that I was going to be pursuing a role at another church. Now, different people responded differently. Some people were incredibly encouraging, super affirming, even, even bemoaned that I wasn't going to be pursuing that role there. Other people were not as encouraging. <laughs> like some of them, you know, when they found out I was, I was pursuing a role as a lead pastor, they were like, no, 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 you're too old to be a lead pastor. And all you old people are like, you're young, what are you talking about? But like, you're too old to be a lead pastor. You don't have enough, you're not charismatic enough to be a lead pastor. You don't have enough vision to be a lead pastor. You're too direct on discipleship stuff to be a lead pastor. You're too much of a stabilizer, not enough of a catalyzer. You're no good to be a lead pastor. Super encouraging stuff, right? Now, the dissenters were by and large in the minority. But what they had to say still got in my head. And the enemies of my mind took advantage of that. And there were lies that I began to believe. Lies like, what my doubters think about me is more important than what anybody else thinks about me. I have to succeed because I got to prove them wrong. My, my success determines everything. If I fail in this role, then I fail as a person and a follower of Jesus. My success vocationally is the ultimate determining factor in who I am as a human being. Now, you may sit there and think, that's nuts. You're right, it is. But those are the lies the enemies of my mind got me to believe. And those lies determined the direction of my life. They played a huge role in the levels of anxiety that I was experiencing. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Now, if you find yourself going, okay, I see where this is happening to me. What in the world do I do with this? That's what this series is about. In each week of this series, we're going to take one or two principles and kind of unpack them. And the principles are designed to help us win the war in our mind. To help us take our minds back from our enemies. And so today, we're going to go after just one principle. And the principle is called the replacement principle. Look at your neighbor and tell them replacements. One more time. Replacement. All right. Very simple. I want to recognize the enemy's lies and replace it with God's truth. 
I want to recognize the enemy's lies and replace it with God's truth. Now, for me, and maybe you're smarter than me, maybe this will come quicker, easier for you, but for me, this was hard work and it took time. Like when I first, when I first started in August, I just knew something was wrong with me. I didn't even know it was anxiety. Like I didn't even have like handles to put on what was going on inside of me. It took me weeks just to figure out, oh, I'm anxious. That's why people complain about high anxiety so much. This is miserable, right? You know, so it took me a lot of time, and there are two main things that I did to figure out what the enemy's lies were. The first one is I would regularly sit down and I would just pray. And I would just cry out to God, God, you got to help me figure out what in the world is going on in here. Because I don't even know what to call this. And so just over, over the course of a couple months, I just sat down and regularly prayed and asked God, you got to help me figure out what's going on. And then the second thing I did is after I, I got done praying, there were a list of questions that I began to ask myself to try and help me figure out what was going on in my head. So we're going to throw them up on the screen. I'd ask myself, why am I doing this? So often in life, we just behave and we, we never stop to think about, yeah, okay, this is what I'm doing, but really, why? Why am I doing this? When did this start? Like if I can figure out when the goofy thing started, I oftentimes can figure out what I'm thinking behind it, right? For me, it was like, I never really had anxiety before I started this new role at the church. And it was, it was like two weeks before I started, right? Uh, I just, my, I started feeling anxious and it just kept, and I'm burying the needle, you know, like the day before I'm starting. When did it start? What need do I feel like this is meeting? This is huge. All the time, I will see people who try and meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate kind of way. If I can, if I can figure out what, what's the need I'm trying to meet with this dysfunctional behavior, what's the functional need that I have, I can oftentimes figure out what's deeper, what's behind that need, what's lying underneath it, what are the things that I believe about this need. How does this make me feel? Beyond angry, gentlemen. All right? It makes me mad. Okay, I get that. Let's, let's, get, let's, let's do a little more work here, all right? Like, I, again, I, I, like first, few, first few weeks, I didn't even know it was anxious. I didn't even know it was anxiety. What am I feeling? What am I afraid of? So much of what we do in life that takes us in a direction that is not good for us is fear-driven. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of what other people thought of me. What are you afraid of? When do I do this? Is, is there a trigger? Is, is there a consistent pattern of this happens, I respond like that. This happens, I respond like that. Every time this happens, I respond like that. If I can identify a trigger, I can often begin to now dig deeper and figure out what is the thinking that goes with this trigger and that instantaneous response. And finally, What's the lie I believe? This is especially helpful if there's a temptation I'm wrestling with. Like, okay, I know this thing is wrong. What are the lies that I believe about I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be good for me anyway? If you're going, hey, 
there's some truth to what you're talking about today. I need to identify the enemy's lies. I can't encourage you enough. Carve out regular time to get in front of God. Cry out to your Father in heaven to help you see. And then start asking yourself this kind of stuff. And see what kind of... Like if you were to steal my journals from that time, you, you will see like an evolution of me figuring out what in the world is going on and coming up with those lies that I shared with you. So it begins with going, okay, what's, what's the lie that I believed? And then I want to replace that lie with God's truth. I want to identify the enemy's lie, and then I want to replace the enemy's lie with God's truth, which assumes that I know what? God, yeah, that I know the truth. Can't replace it with the truth if I don't know the truth. This is why we're hounding you all the time to read your Bible and to think deeply about it. That's why we're like, hey, you need to, to, to get yourself in front of good teaching on a regular basis. Hey, you should be part of a small group where you're unpacking the scriptures together so that you would know the truth. And so I can't encourage you enough. When you figure out what that lie is, figure, then your job is to do the hard work of figuring out what God's truth says about it. And, and listen, don't, don't try and short, shortcut figuring out what the lie is. The better a job you do figuring out what the lie is, the better a job you can do replacing it with God's truth. So, I, I, tools like a Bible dictionary, um, a concordance, a topical Bible can be huge. If you're like, okay, I believe this lie when it comes to money, sex, substances, you know, my marriage, my kids, whatever it is, I'm going to start, what does the Bible say about these things? If you're like, I don't have any of those books, I don't want to buy any, I'm too cheap, go to BibleGateway.com. It's online, it's free, you've got limited tools for free, and then I think it's like five bucks a month to get the advanced tools. Do your homework. Figure out what God's truth is. And then probably the best way to replace the lie with the truth is a thing called the lie truth declaration exercise. The lie truth declaration exercise. I'll give you a few examples of this. All right, let's say, let's say I, I got an issue with overspending. I spend money I don't have or I spend money, stupid money on stuff I don't need. And so I go, okay, what's the lie? And this is a lie I identify. I figure out that, that I believe in my head if I just had more stuff, then I would be happy. But I dig into God's truth. And I, and I realize that it says to me, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so I write down a declaration statement and I keep it with me. And the next time, and the next time, and the next time I feel like spending in a way that I, I cannot afford it, it's just stupid, I pull that thing out and I remind myself, I can be content regardless of my circumstances in plenty or in want. Because no matter what I don't have, I know I do have Jesus. And Jesus will fill me more than my stuff can. 
Or let's say my issue is, like, I've got these self-destructive behaviors. I'm overeating. I'm over-drinking. I'm getting high. And I dig down deep and I figure out, here's the lie. My self-destructive behavior is what I need in order to deal with my stress and find peace. And so I dig into God's Word and I discover truths like these. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Or I read, cast your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So again, I write down a declaration statement, and I put it on my phone. And every time I'm tempted to go to that self-destructive behavior, I pull it out and I remind myself, I do need help. It's just that I need my God's help. What I'm doing or using may numb me to my problem, but it's not going to help me. I'm going to come to my God when I am stressed and I'm weary and when I'm overburdened. I'm going to throw my anxiety on Him and I'm going to look to Him for peace for my soul. Or if your problem's anxiety over a new role in a new church and you dig down deep and you discover this is the lie. Other people's opinions of me are more important than God's opinion of me. And my vocational productivity determines both my identity and my value. And so you dig into God's truth and you discover things like this. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Or you discover that the scriptures speak to you about who you are simply because you are in Christ. You read, I am chosen. He chose me and him before the creation of the world. Chose me to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined me to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given me in the one he loves. In him I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I write a declaration statement. And every time anxiety comes to eat my lunch, I remind myself, I am living for an audience of one. And as long as my God approves, it doesn't matter what any of you all think. I will not be defined by my performance and my vocation. I will be defined by who I am in Jesus. Because in Jesus, I am chosen. I am predestined, I am adopted, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am the recipient of God's grace, I am who my God says I am. Now admittedly, this is a little bit 
of an oversimplification, but hopefully you get the idea. We're going to recognize the lie and we're going to replace it with God's truth as we repeatedly engage in the lie, truth, declaration exercise. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And there is a war being waged for your mind. There are enemies that would seek to get you to believe the opposite of what God is telling you to be true about who you are and about how life works and about who he is and the circumstances and the people that surround you. Principle number one is the replacement principle. But this is only one of a number of principles we want to share with you. So be here next week and the week to come as we share some more and we talk about what it looks like to win the war in our minds. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just pray that today, this week, and in the weeks to come, that you would relentlessly pursue us. That you would give us eyes to see where the enemy is winning the war in our mind. God, I just pray for your grace to be able to accurately identify the lie. Father, I just pray you would meet us with your truth. That you would help us to see that and begin to replace the lie with your truth change the direction that our lives are moving in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.